Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Hello, I'm Craig. Hey, hi, Craig. Who are I you? Don't know. I don't know who I am anymore. We should reintroduce ourselves. Welcome to the summer edition of the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Yes, I'm Cody. That's my name. That's who yeah. I am. Yep, it's been a while. I've been sick. We've had we've I, had a, a hiatus that had no um, was not planned on. Not really. Nope. Yep. Oh. I got shingles and they hit me internally. They got my nerves in my head. My cranial. Wait, you didn't get the like skin thing. Nope. So I got one little thing here. And then one kind of right here, but everything else was the cranial that got there. So you got these three nerves on both sides, three butt strands of nerves on both sides of your head. They, they're called Wait, their cranial. Three what strands? Three strands or bundles of nerves. Bundles. Oh, they said three butt strands. <laughs> and they, um, they kind of go like this and they come together right here. My shingles got right on this side, right here where they come together. So all three nerve strands are affected. And so I got, and I, I still to this day, get nerve pain in the top, in the middle section and along my jawline of my left side of my head. And that was that. And then I got an internal shingle sore in my throat and I can still feel it going on. Oh. And then um, one on my tongue, <laughs> so. Yep. Yay, that's, yeah. Well, is that what caused vertigo? Was the yep the head of the bundle your ear and all that? Yep, exactly. And so I still have a little touch of vertigo and the nerve pain. So the nerve for, pain for anybody is, who does not know, because we don't talk too much about revealing our ages, we used to introduce <laughs> ourselves as you know the the old baby boomer, the Gen Xer, and the millennial. Uh -huh. We had Justin, but yep. Um, I'm only so 41. Just, you, you're too you're too young to be getting shingles. Yeah, I'm only 41. You're not, you're not but, even allowed to get the the vac. You're not supposed yeah. to get the vaccine for another 15 years or something yeah, like that. Not not allowed to. Now I can because I've had the I've had it. So <clears throat> now I can go get it in about six months or something like that. Good. So yes, jump on that. <laughs> but uh, they did tell me that stress can induce it for anybody at any age you know can help promote it because you know if you had chicken i'm sure everyone knows but if you had chicken pox in your kid that virus lives on in your body it's essentially it's a um it's like a, it's a herpes <laughs> it's right. a herpes yeah. in that family yeah. yeah so it lives in your nerve now is that the prior nerves. correct pronunciation for i mean the correct grammar it's a herpes or is it they <laughs> are herpes, herpes or is it yeah. a herp a herpes, oh, a herp, a herpes. 
No, that's okay. funny. I've never thought about that. But no, yeah, yeah it lives so, in your spinal column, so it can show up anywhere in your body. For most so people, we've, we, we've got a guest who's going to be logging yeah. in in a little. Okay. Bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, she's going to be a little bit late, which is which is fine because it gives us a chance to catch up on some really quick things going yes. on in the world Let's of sports, and we haven't talked about it for a while. So, okay. Here we go. Really quick responses, just in case she comes in real quick. Okay, so okay. Stanley Cup playoffs. What do you think? Uh, I'm rooting for the Avalanche, uh, only because they're kind of close to home. Other than that, I mean, it's crazy that it's been blowouts all three games. I don't. And the, the scores are approaching football or baseball. Uh, scores, baseball, not... yeah, baseball scores for sure. And uh, the first two overwhelming Avalanche. So uh, it looked like it was going to be a. A cake skate, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think that's uh, icing, actually. Uh, yeah. You just froze. I wonder where Cody went. I don't know what's going on, man. Oh, you're back. Oh. All right, so yeah, so. <laughs> Oh, there you are. You're back. Okay. Quick sort response. Of. So you, you, you made your comment about uh, Stanley Cup. It's, <laughs> it looks to me, you choked. It, it, it. I choked? <laughs> are you there? <laughs> you, you just went it, silent. It tells me your connection is really bad. Mine? Huh? <laughs> yeah. You're on mine. It looks like it shows me a red, like yours is in danger. Like your connection. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because mine, I'm connected at uh, 92 uh, megabods or kilobods or whatever it is. Okay, now it's catching up. Now it's yellow. It turned yellow. Well, well, that's so sad. <laughs> anyway, oh, now you're good. Now you're. Now everything looks good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Stand the cup. All right. Golf. The golf. 54 did so the, the, the live golf league. Yeah. So L I V is not supposed to be pronounced, I guess, but it's stands for 54, but I don't know 54. What? Yeah. Why is it called that? See, I've been calling it live this whole time. Or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's I what everybody calls it. But if next year, will it become just because the vowel drops or the, the, you know, uh. That is so weird. I don't know. And that'll uh, become Livy um, next year. So I don't know. What's your thoughts on it? Um, I have mixed feelings. Uh, I, I I do appreciate the fact that um, there are a lot of golf fans. <laughs> freezing on me. Ah, tell you what, I'm going to do something. I appreciate. I think it's recording. Anyway, so I appreciate that there's a lot of golf fans who are uh, not happy about the un being linked with the unethical uh, regime of Saudi Arabia. I get that. But the money they're throwing at these golfers is insane. So going to take a little pause and start up recording again. Should we, or are you a little it bit says, better there? It now it says it's recording in progress when it cleared itself and came back on. I don't well, know. that's really odd. But so, so um, I'm trying to remember who, who it was, uh, but one of the golfers was offered a $125 million signing bonus to join yep. this tour, yep. which is $4 million more than um, Tiger Woods has earned in all of his golf, all of his yeah. golfing. Yes. Well, so I, I'm on two minds of it. Of course, I'm of the one, mind, like, I don't like 
I'm, you know, the connection to corrupt regimes and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, a, I, I don't defend that. Right. But here in America, um, where we are, you know, we, we follow the capitalism system, the free market system. Do and, we? <laughs> well, okay, but you know what I mean? That's, I mean, that's the that's idea. The, that's we the rest, like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and especially with athletes, um, I, we may grumble and complain about it, but this is the world of athletes being in almost every league, right? NBA, MLB, and NFL, they can go, go get the money. Well, so then the question is, if we're if we're concerned about the ethics of the Saudi Arabia, of Saudi Arabia and you know financing this incredible tour, mm -hmm. should we be concerned about the linkages that the PGA has, you know, with right. things that don't deal with climate uh, justice issues or exactly. Um, you know, different things with different racial issues. And Augusta, Angela just yeah, logged Augusta. on. Hi. Oh, and she <laughs> just stepped out. That's cool. Well, uh, she looks like. It, I think she looks like she maybe just came back from the gym because so did I. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, she needs a moment. So, That's how, cool. My morning um, got totally derailed. So my well, hopefully we'll get you back on track. <laughs> so, so while you were gone, we're 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 talking about sports ethics stuff, kind of the headlines, like the the PGA versus Live Tour, right? Uh, and. Uh, and so, folks, oh, by the way, Angela, we are already recording. So anything you say can and will be used because we're too lazy to edit. Unless you unless there's something you say that you really don't want us to include and we will go to that trouble. We'll have to do that. extra effort. We'll, yeah. we'll fix it. We will. Yeah. But if you're worried. So we started off talking about sports stuff here and uh, we already covered Stanley Cup. So that one's moved out of the way. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and since you're from the great white north up there in Minnesota, I'm sure you have no feelings about hockey. Um, you know, I I worked as a hockey writer for about three years, and I, I think I got so overdosed on hockey that I just like, and my kids play basketball, I play basketball. So I, I to be honest, I couldn't tell you much about the Stanley Cup this year. Years ago, I could have given you the whole deal, NHL, you know, I was right at the center of it, but... <laughs> So you turn the page on that one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I mean, I love hockey culture. It's, it's such a great camaraderie and especially here in Minnesota. So yeah, I bet. Uh, that's awesome. And, and then the, the last uh, sports tidbit and one, you know, and just, just feel free to jump in on this, uh, Angela, what do we think about Deshaun uh, Watson seeking 66 massage therapists in four months time? Yeah. Yeah, I just, what was I just reading? I think um, I, I subscribed to uh, a Substack. I'm not remembering it right now, but um, talking about, you know, just the, what the decision even to, to award Deshaun Watson with this, this contract sort of says about the ongoing um, state of the NFL sort of inability to really recognize the toll that, that sexual abuse and violence against women has taken on the league. And I think I read that they have, you know, a, a policy on, uh, you know, sexual misconduct and accusations. Um, and it's, you know, something like 65 pages long. And like four of those pages are devoted to what happens with the victims. And the rest is all about like, how do we cover up? <laughs> so it's ongoing, right? <laughs> and, wow. you know, it, it's, yeah, it, 
So, yeah, so far out of those uh, stories we talked about, the only one that's free of ethical uh, uh, quandary is the Stanley Cup. So, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure if we dug a little, we could probably find something. (laughs) So we we could talk about youth sports, uh, uh, track and field, and uh, youth basketball. And (laughs) it might be be better. My son had his first year of traveling in AAU this year. He's still playing AAU, so don't get me started on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Angela, it's good to have you with us uh, this morning. And we talked, or at least you and I had had spoken about three years ago, I think it was, right as your book, Red State Christians, was coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, You had actually gotten onto my radar because of, uh, I, I mean, once that book came out, then I was familiar or reminded of your name because of an article that you had written about uh, Colin uh, Kaepernick, I think it was. Right. I remember. And it's kind of cool uh, when the worlds of theology, church, sports kind of intersect. Uh, because when, when Cody and I started this podcast like four years ago, he said, um, gosh, who do I know who can talk about theology and sports? Oh, I think I'll give Craig a call. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a small Venn diagram actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, on top of that is you know, Cody is a, a Methodist pastor. I'm a, Men- a Mennonite pastor, and you're a pastor in the ELCA, I believe. Yes, I'm a Lutheran pastor. Yeah. And uh, so you know we got we got some pastors here. We got some sports geeks here. Do you uh, cook? And uh, seems like Great. a seems like a good we're, combo. We're foodies too, so we've added and that into our Venn okay. diagram. Okay. Yeah, that's why we got to work out, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's definitely one of the reasons. I try, I try to make sure I can keep up with my youngest athletes. That's always my challenge, but they, they seem to be getting faster as I get older, which I don't understand. I know, it's a quandary. Um, I want to go back when I referenced that, who I was quoting from about the Deshaun Watson, that was um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, Substack. So I don't know if you guys subscribe Excellent. to that, but he's got a no. great, you know, intersection of sports culture um, newsletter that that I really enjoy. I think it'd be. He, ha- he has a wonderful podcast. voice when it comes to it, speaking on issues, current events issues, and ethical right. kind of that those ethical issues. Right, yeah. racial justice, all that. Yep. 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 Well, one of the reasons we wanted to get together with you, Angela, is you're coming out with a new, revised, updated version of Red State Christians. Um, by way of introduction, I'd like you to just to say a little bit about maybe who you are. We've kind of alluded to some of those, those, uh, some of those things, but go ahead and introduce yourself, what you do. You're, it's, you can, we've already, gosh, we already did cover a lot. You're a sport, you're a sports mom, uh, you're a pastor, you're a writer. Uh, but go ahead and how would you describe yourself and what are some of the things that uh, you'd like to int- uh, mention about yourself in a self-introduction? Yeah, so I, um, I'm in Minneapolis. I grew up here, um, grew up as an athlete, played uh, volleyball in college, and uh, my first career was in sports writing. I worked uh, covering hockey in Florida, and while I was in Florida, I was also playing a lot of beach volleyball um, and met my husband playing pickup basketball. So we've got lots of love in basketball and sports kind of percolating in the background. Um, but my, my biggest passion is, is for truth and for being able to tell stories that illuminate the truth. And for me as a pastor, um, that truth is embodied most powerfully in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and, but I've, I've found, you know, my life continues to kind of swing back and forth between, okay, how am I sharing that truth 
within the context of the church? And then how am I sharing that truth uh, for public witness? So in the midst of my ministry career, as I've gone from you know, Chicago to Las Vegas, to Orange County, to back here in Minnesota, um, to Southern California, uh, I have also continued to, to feel called to like write about the truth in a journalistic sense. Um, and often that, I think the world of sports is a really great place to see uh, these issues playing out in sort of a, an unfiltered way. I mean, I really think even though, you know, pastors get in trouble for like, oh no, not another like sports cliche story in the sermon. People get really sick of that. Um, and it's certainly overused. At the same time, as we did see with the NFL kneeling protests, and as we continue to see um, with, you know, the then the backlash against sports players, particularly athletes of color, when they stand up and use their platform to speak about racial justice or social justice, the backlash that occurs, you know, the infamous, um, you know, Laura Ingram, shut up and dribble. Uh, so I have, you know, continued to feel myself called uh, to, to illuminate that truth and also to, to see where Jesus calls us to ultimately reclaim the humanity of every person. Um, and I think in athletics, you see that humanity really recognized and then also sort of where athletes are sort of their humanity in some ways is dismissed in favor of their athleticism. So lots to talk about, I'm sure. Working on this new edition of the book, I'm working on a second book proposal that will hopefully be under contract soon, fingers crossed. Um, and yeah, just continuing to keep up with my sports obsession little boys <laughs> <laughs> so bringing these worlds together so uh red state christians uh it's not so much about politics as it is about cu culture sure and and some of those pressures and trends that seem to be had been going on that gave rise to you know, um how how christians could support donald trump but those those pressures um in some of the examples you were talking about athletics and uh, professional sports, especially those, those things keep coming up in, in professional athletics as well. Those trends are not kind of kept in a separate world. Like, Oh yeah, we'll only pick those up on uh, you know, when we watch Washington week or, you know, tune into uh, you know, whatever, you know, Jake Tapper, you know, this stuff is, is always, it's, it's, it, it it filters into all these different worlds. And I think sometimes sports becomes a, perhaps a filter through which we can see some of these things. Totally. I mean, right now, you know, this debate about transgender athletes and then feminists and what, I mean, that's a huge sports story that again is sort of a microcosm of a lot of our political and cultural tensions. Right, right. And yeah, and we, and where I happen to live in Idaho is just a very, disturbing place uh, in relation to those things um, when it comes to trans athletes or <laughs> LGBTQIA plus anything really, mm -hmm. or uh, uh, any, any persons of color as well. Um, and so, and, and sometimes I find myself uh, entering into those conversations because I'm a coach, because I'm advocating for youth, because I'm working with these athletes. Um, it makes those, those topics so much more they're, they're not abstract. 
and coaches are powerful, right? You know, and coaches um, have a lot of opportunity to be a positive influence in kids' lives and often are. And I think coaches are, you know, hopefully even like the big time football coaches, some of them are willing to sort of say, okay, this is what I've done in the past. That's maybe not working anymore. Um, so I think I'm sure even you in Idaho, you know, you're seeing in the midst of all the negative press, you probably are also seeing underneath the surface, you know, some positive changes being made toward acknowledging each other's humanity. I would. Yeah. They, I mean, they tend not to get the press. Uh, <laughs> probably. I know. I know. Not as sensationalistic enough. Yeah. Right. So, so let's, let's spend some time talking about this new version of red state Christians. So I, re- we, I read that book, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago and some images and some ideas really have um, stayed with me. Awesome. Uh, I'm thinking of Orange County, California. And in, in some, one of the reasons it sticks with me is because of the number of Orange County, Californians who keep moving to Idaho and Northern Idaho. <laughs> yeah. So they can feel comfortable walking around with their assault rifles <laughs> without getting a dirty look. Uh, then, then the other place that, that stuck in my mind, I believe it was, was it Thomas More College? I think it was, or? Yes. And yeah. it made me think of this kind of Margaret Atwood universe <laughs> and, and how, how disturbing that was. Right. Um, I'm not sure as you doing the update, do you revisit some of those other places? Yeah, so um, it's interesting you mentioned Thomas More because that chapter on Catholics, I mean, Catholics, again, sort of like sports, there's there's such a large number of Catholics in America, and they're so, for a long time, Catholicism has sort of sought to be a big tent under which many different types of Christian, Catholics can live. Um, so within Catholicism, you know, it's, it's such a microcosm of where you see the conflict and the tension between Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden as American Catholics, and then also Thomas More College as a Catholic institution in this country and right-wing Catholics on the Supreme Court um, who are pushing, you know, for more conservative policies. So anyway, that that chapter has led to, uh, I am a contributing writer for US Catholic Magazine now, sort of covering the Catholic right. (laughs) So I have continued to do a lot of work in that area. but yeah, so uh, the new version, I'm, I'm not updating the entire book. So basically there is a new subtitle, there's a new introduction and there's a new uh, conclusion. And what I really wanted to do was, um, you know, obviously nothing's happened since 2019, right? Our world is exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how, how, how charming. Why would yeah. you need to revise this? That's true, because we just took a two-year time out. Nothing changed, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, I just took the, t- the time off. I didn't even pay attention. <laughs> um, well, and also when you talk about Orange County, too, um, I wrote that book, you know, having just moved back to Minneapolis from Orange County. I spent a few years during the Trump presidency and during Trump's election as a pastor at sort of a Lutheran megachurch-ish setting, you know, not very Lutheran, really more evangelical in Orange County, in Yorba Linda, the hometown of Richard Nixon. And now we're seeing Orange County in the news again with um, the lawyer, John Eastman, who's from Chapman University in Orange County, being such a figure in the lead up to January 6th and what happened at, uh, at the US Capitol. 
So anyway, um, yes, it continues to be incredibly relevant. What I, the reason I wanted to update the book was that there's been three sort of major movements and changes and events culturally that have um, shaped the research that I did in this book, which, and, and I'm excited we changed the subtitle because um, I didn't, I never liked it. You know, the publisher says it. Um, under, it was initially understanding the voters who elected Donald Trump and that word understanding, um, it, it wasn't the right word for me. I, I initially wanted it to be meet because what I wanted to do really was tell stories and get people to meet one another. Understanding gave me this sense of, oh, this, this is this demographic group that we need to study, which you see this pose, you know, in Alice, like the New York Times or, um, national magazines, The Atlantic, when they often attempt to write about conservatives, particularly when they're writing about conservatives who are not wealthy, not at the center of power, when they're writing about rural conservatives, there's sort of this pose of like, let's study this species. Who are they? What are they like? <laughs> and, you know, for those of us who work, I work in rural America, my church is in rural Minnesota. Um, and, you know, sports culture is really rooted a lot in rural areas as well. You know, look at high school sports. Um, I just, I didn't like that feeling. I didn't want people to think I was saying, we're going to understand this thing that is so foreign to me because it's not like, this is my family. These are my friends. Um, so we changed the subtitle, um, but the subtitle reflects again, what's happened since 2019 and what's happened since 2019 is COVID, uh, the racial sort of reawakening and racial ongoing rise in racism in some cases um, after the murder of George Floyd, which happened six miles from my house. So it was really a huge event for me, you know, being here in the city of Minneapolis, being involved in racial justice protests and racial, racial justice activism, while at the same time driving an hour west to my church and, you know, encountering folks and also folks in my own neighborhood in Minneapolis who felt like, oh my gosh, like we're not safe now because these racial justice protests are taking place and really seeing the extent to which often white Christians are attempted, are attempted to prioritize our own safety and security rather than looking at the threat that racism is principally to black people, um, but to all of us. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the last event, which I kind of touched on, is uh, the insurrection in January 6th and how we've seen this pairing of Christian ideology with violence and with violent masculinity. You see in the work of Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Dumay um, and what's happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, so bringing those things together, I really wanted to write about those things and then also write about, you know, what this has looked like for me personally. So the new subtitle is A Journey into White Christian Nationalism, because that's at the center of the book, right, is white right. Christian nationalism. And I felt like I, in the, in the initial edition, I soft-pedaled racism a little bit because I really, I wanted, you know, I was a little bit timid. I wanted white conservatives to read the book. And I was afraid if I pedaled harder on racism. And I, I think I learned after George Floyd, that's, I can't do that anymore. That's, that's not cool. It's not okay. Um, it's not okay for black people and it's not okay for me as I want to be a witness to the gospel. So it was important to have that, that race is at the center of this 
as much as we wish it wasn't, it is. Right. Um, and the wreckage it leaves behind. And for me, you know, the wreckage of COVID became really real when um, my brother-in-law died at age 42 of COVID and um, got it right when sort of Delta was coming into the Midwest, came to Southwest Missouri, which is where he lived. Um, and he, you know, had not gotten vaccinated because of his political beliefs and because of the political culture and the Christian culture that surrounded him. And we really watched him suffer. And he's a super healthy guy, worked out all the time, had little kids. And so to see, and then to see, you know, even my own family that their continual instinct was to blame Democrats, blame China, and just continue to get angrier and angrier and angrier in the midst of this terrible grief and this terrible loss. And so it felt like, you know, personally, I experienced a lot of the wreckage of it as well. So yeah, it's um, a super uplifting read. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to, to delve deeper into these trends that continue from the research that I did. So, so so how, how did you dive into that with those top, I mean, did, did you find, um, did you, how how did you enter into the world of white nationalism? I mean, I mean, it's not like you have to look far. I mean, it's, it's pervasive. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it permeates the book, right? I mean, the first chapter of the book takes place, um, talk at, uh, at gosh, Prestonwood Baptist church in Plano, Texas on the 4th of July weekend. And so the book already really starts with, wow, this is about Christian nationalism. And we're watching theology, we're watching theology be sort of warped to say, to see Jesus as this warrior who died for America, much in the same way as the military supports America. And it dehumanizes the military by saying that, you know, the military is some sort of savior for this holy nation. Um, It's interesting, you know, for you all in Idaho, like, some of it seems to overlap in an interesting way with LDS theology, you know, this idea of America as the holy place. It's a, it, yeah, that is very strong. And, yes. and then along with you mentioning uh, the, the, the folks in Texas, as you're just describing, yeah. it made me think of uh, Bobert's comment about, you know, if Jesus had a, you know, if he had assault rifles, you know, he wouldn't AR-15. have been killed. Oh, right. Yeah, AR-15. AR-15. Yeah, he wouldn't have been killed. It's like, well, wait, that... Uh, Theologically, that doesn't work for a whole lot of reasons, but um, but it seems like there's there's this yearning to have this this warrior Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and that's been building. For I don't so even long. want. What's that? Yeah. What were you gonna say, Cody? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't even want to defend the position of like substitutionary atonement, for example, and yet you still there's a you know like you're wrecking all sorts of theology with that statement and <laughs> all sorts. Yeah. It's a wrecking ball to all atonement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and to, the transition I made from like the initial book to the new version, I think is I used to feel like it was really important. And I spoke to a lot of conservative audiences and a lot of conservative places. And I'm super grateful to have been welcomed into so many churches and universities, you know, one university that I spoke at, I, I came after they had a Trump rally, you know, <laughs> same place in North Carolina. Um, but I felt like it was really important for me to say explicitly that Jesus is not American and people would always kind of like chuckle, but also, you know, 
people kind of see Jesus as being American. He's one of us, particularly in evangelical churches and in, um, you know, white churches. Uh, but as I, you know, learned more, I, I found it to be as important, if not more important to, to also remind people like Jesus is not white. Jesus is middle Eastern. He is a brown skinned man. Um, and what that does to all of this theology that we have taken a savior rooted in a particular context, because through the incarnation, this is a particular context with particular people in a particular place in history. And we have wiped out that particular history and that particular place for Jesus. And in doing so, I think theologically, we have neutralized the power of the incarnation um, and created a theology that has sort of erased the person of Jesus and left us with an authoritarian God who has the capacity for intense violence. It, and I, yeah, I, I, I would really like that last idea that when we dismiss the particularity of Jesus incarnation, we, it, it's easy to move towards the God of like the book of judges mm -hmm. who just wipes mm -hmm. out everybody else. Mm -hmm. um well yeah if you eliminate the particularity you can layer on whatever you want and you know like yeah yeah it, we layer on our own we layer on our own yeah. identity as as the one that's supreme and i think it's interesting when i was like i'm overwhelmingly german in my family like that's my ancestry and I think it's so interesting when people of European descent want to like really hold on to this Old Testament God, or even it's like, that wasn't us. Like we were the Gentiles. We were running around, our ancestors were running around, you know, killing each other up in Europe and, you know, trying to survive. Like we were not the Jewish people. We were never the chosen people, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I think we, were, we were barbarians and Vikings. That's the word. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh as i wanted to ask you about um so you're lightly bringing in or not lightly i guess probably you're more bringing in now the insurrection mm -hmm. as you're paying attention to the <clears throat> um hearings is that affecting what you're writing about i mean are you learning some new things you're like yep okay that's changing my schedule here or <laughs> i'm gonna have to crunch this in yeah, it's a mix. You know, um, my, my mom asked me like, oh, are you watching the hearings? And honestly, I have not had the capacity in the last two weeks to watch them live. I follow all the news and I read everything that happened. Um, but I think that for those of us who've been following this for so long in like this rise in a violent masculinity based like Christianity, that's been a part of my life for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really, I don't know if you guys talked about on here, the um, podcast by Mark uh, Cosper or Mike Cosper coming out of uh, CT, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, like yep. Mark Driscoll's theology of manhood. That's the pastor who I worked with in Las Vegas when I was first becoming a pastor. Like that was his bread and butter. He loved that stuff. And he's a good friend of mine. Um, but like, that's, you know, this sense that like, oh, we've created this sissy God, you know, this none of this happened overnight this has been like percolating for so long within christian oh, yeah. culture that you know we all grew up with um but anyway you know i think that and i i have seen a lot of and i see in the way that people i know who are still pretty devoted to trump 
they're not watching the hearings. There's, you know, rumors that like the hearings are totally staged. It's all a conspiracy. I hope that it is, I think there's a potential maybe to reach some Republicans who are not full on sort of mega. Um, but yeah, I, I do hold out that like this stuff is going to change through relationships. Um, it's probably not going to change through media or politics. It's going to change through relationships, but it's also, you know, going to change maybe through some legislation or some justice department action. Um, but, you know, I think the hearings have been powerful, but there's a, definitely a limit to the utility of it on the right. I read a very depressing um, scholarly journal article uh, earlier this year. Um, it's called Historical Fundamentalism, Christian Nationalism, and Ignorance About Religion in American mm -hmm. Political History. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're familiar with the work of uh, Philip Gorski, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So right. was, he wrote this with uh, Sam uh, Perry and uh, let's see, Joshua oh. Grubbs, who I'm not quite as familiar with, but I may have read that, read that too. They, they were, they were, they, they pointed out the fact that more facts do not help people yeah. move out of, you know, that, yeah. you know, that those ideas. And so, yeah, it's a conspiracy. It's all staged. Information isn't moving things forward. Uh, one of the most depressing parts of their article was the uh, identification that advanced degrees, uh, masters, PhDs made no difference. <laughs> it doesn't combat the ideology. Yeah. And that goes back to, I think, something you were earlier saying about the, the different tone you, you wanted to have in the book. It's not about these abstract demographic groups that you're just talking about, right. but actually engaging conversations with. Yeah. Uh, do you think that it, as you do that, do, did you see yourself attempting to model something that was intended to be replicated by regular folks so that we can have these conversations or have these, this kind of uh, point of view to these others with whom we may have significant disagreement? Yeah. And I think I got, I do. And I think I got really pulled into it. You know, I think God saw that and was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm really going to have you do that. Um, so the book came out in August of 2019 and, uh, I had left my previous call. I was serving as a part-time teaching pastor at a multi-site church here in Minneapolis, um, and left that call in May of 2019 and then was kind of thinking, I'm just going to focus on, you know, the book and the traveling and promotions. Um, thankfully this happened because COVID came soon, soon after, yeah. but, sort of out of the blue, I was asked to interview at this congregation, um, an hour Southwest of the twin cities. Uh, and, you know, I drove out there, met them, loved them. Um, but also was like, there's no way I'm going to actually do this. And they ended up holding a congregational vote on me a couple of weeks later after I had a second interview, but they didn't tell me they were voting like this. Somebody forgot to call me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And so I had never like, I think if they would have asked me, I may have been like, oh, I don't know, but they didn't. And then they had the vote and it passed and everything's kind of moving. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> so I have spent, you know, these past few years with COVID, with misinformation, with, you know, confirmation kids who told me like, I'm not getting that vaccine. I'm getting a, it's going to put a chip in my body. Like, you know, and they're going to be able to track me while they're like on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, 
I drove to church the Sunday morning after the insurrection, you know, feeling so horrified by like what I had seen and just the violence and the fear and the propagation of Christian Christian symbols around it. And I'm driving down main street, just the streets lined with Trump flags and, you know, feeling afraid because I had in, um, December of 2019, I had been on CNN and then they featured it on Breitbart. And so I had gotten like a lot of this sort of violent messaging thing towards me. And then here I am in my church's small town seeing, and your brain connects it. Right. And even though I love the people in my church, I love this town. They love me at the same time. It's that same type of rhetoric that was directed at me. And that has created real violence. I mean, it killed somebody at Charlottesville. It's killed people in Buffalo recently. Um, so it's, I've been all that to say, like I've been living it out in this context and it's been super fruitful for me and for my parishioners. Um, and also has been really unique and interesting to live. I live in Ilhan Omar's district, very liberal Mm -hmm. area of Minneapolis. And then I drive out to an area that voted for Trump, you know, 62 thirds to one third. So I've really been (laughs) like immersed in, you know, the polarities of American culture. That kind of forces pastoral theology into a really, uh, sounds like a great dilemma. I mean, to exercise one's, uh, one's calling. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. So as a pastor and and we've had, I'm sure, I don't know, Craig, if you, maybe you haven't had these kind of conversations, but in wake of every shooting, especially ones that happen in churches and now also on top of that, this violent rhetoric, rhetoric that surrounds you. Have you and your congregations had conversations about safety for your church or security procedures or anything like that? Yeah, I am. We haven't. I, I am personally skeptical of security theater in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that may be a little bit naive, like, if somebody came into my church and started shooting, um, I may have people who wear guns to church. I honestly don't think I do. Um, but I'm sure most people in my church have guns. Um, you know, I get, I get venison sometimes from people and it's very much part of the rural culture. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, we, I think we had active shooter training at the church I was at in California because we had an FBI agent who was involved. Um, I, that's, that's not what I'm called to as a pastor. If somebody else wants to set that up at our church, I will go to it. You know, I'll listen. Um, but I think that my, my priority and, you know, my parishioners, I'm sure don't agree with me, but my priority is like, Hey, less guns, less killing people. Like, you know, lock up your guns at home, please lock up your guns. I know you guys need to have them for certain things, lock them up. Um, in rural America, you know, people don't have good access to mental health support. There's a lot of financial pressure on people with farms, you know, younger people are inheriting farms and they can't keep going. You know, people, people die of accidents a lot, accidents that are hastened by mental health challenges that are hastened by alcohol abuse. Um, so I think it's just, again, like I tend to approach this stuff very relationally and, you know, sort of on a one-to-one basis. Um, but it's, it's a scary world, you know, 
as people that are in public places that have, you know, sending my kids to school. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only raise that as a question simply because, you know, that is, it's interesting for me and my context and my experience, those have been where I've really been challenged for my theology and thoughts to really, I guess, hit the road, you know, where the rubber hits the road type of thing. And so um, I've wrestled more over the last few years, you know, because we don't have guns and we're never going to have guns in, in our house. When I was a kid, there was a there was an incident in my home that had to do with an unsecure gun. And ever since then, I'm just like, I'm never we're never going to have that. <clears throat> but yeah. um, I also have to wrestle with the on the flip side, you know, congregational care and, and uh, protecting, you know, vulnerable people and those types of things. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> one one congregation I was serving uh, a couple of years ago uh, as a consultant. One of the conversations we had as a congregational conversation is, "What do we as as uh, uh, nonviolent pacifist community? How do we how do we what do we do?" Right. And so we to we had to raise that as a community conversation. In fact, one of the uh, participants in that congregation had a granddaughter and a great grandchild killed in the texas church shooting a number of years ago was that three or four years ago that took place um and so it wasn't it was not an abstract thing it was interesting for her and her family that was a part of this uh this congregation the the congregation i was serving to still want to maintain there's a way to have a nonviolent, uh personal interactive response in those times of crisis it wasn't this knee-jerk reaction to, oh, we all need guns now. Um, but we had to turn that into a, into a congregational conversation. Because if you have a whole community that says, hey, by the way, if somebody comes with a gun, uh, we're going to find something other than uh, shooting them. Yeah. You kind of want that to be a public safety statement, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. I bet, you know, given your theological background, Craig, I bet you're better equipped to maybe, you know, answer some of those questions than Cody or I are like as a Lutheran, our, our history is, you know, a little bit bloody. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We, 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 we know that as Mennonites, we remember those days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I had a Lutheran, uh, uh, Co- uh, consulting friend of mine say, but we Lutherans, we never killed you Mennonites. We just kicked you out and we, we took your land and we, you know, excommunicated you. And I said, I don't know about that. So mm, I think there was some killing. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Uh, the hard part, it's I easy need to a little a statement about the, that kind of violence, but it's not easy to make a, a uh, strategic statement about how do we undertake this? And I think that's where we continue right. to struggle. And that viewing it as a community response, you know, how do we approach this as the church community? I think that, again, that's a important witness for those of us who come from traditions that tend to be a little bit more individualized, yeah, you know, yeah. need to continue to return to. You know, maybe, yeah, I, and I think part of it is also making sure that, you know, just, I guess, a congregational awareness uh, of what, what, what might we do, you know, yeah. might make space for those who can run fast to run away, you know, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we, we, we've had, we've had traditions where Mennonites used to uh, create a, um, a, a human shield hmm. uh, in the uh, days of, hmm. uh, in the Reformation, the, the older you were, 
old males would be an outer ring as the congregation mm. would gather. And so mm. when people throw bricks through a window or something like that, they'd be knocking off old guys. Wow. And the then women and children would be towards the center. You know, it's like, well, you know, we we, <laughs> we have a tradition. Doesn't, doesn't that feel so much to hearing that to me, that feels so much more Christ-centered than saying, you know, what if Jesus had an AR-15? Like that witness of oh, right. <laughs> acting as a human shield, like that's intense. That's really difficult, but it also feels really rooted in Jesus. It it does it does um, satisfy a, a variety of atonement theories uh, <laughs> rather than completely yeah. obliterate them. <laughs> it all comes absolutely exactly. So you <laughs> so, so yeah, you're. You're in you you in your own personal sense of call, Angela. You you bring together these you know, work as a writer, uh, a journalist, observer, researcher. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed reading recently were your tweets on the meetings of the ELCA and the denominational meetings. And did you sense uh, at the denominational level that, I mean, there were lots of issues there with with. Um, human sexuality, gender issues, uh, um, racial justice. There's a whole bunch going on. Um, Do you sense that some of these uh, um, pressures for Christian nationalism were actually part of the the push and pull in that? Or was this something else? Well, I think uh, the ELC is interesting. It's a, it's a denomination that is overwhelmingly white. It's the whitest denomination in the country. And it's a denomination that is majority rule. Um, but like many institutions, we have a central leadership. Like it's become an institution, right? Church, was, church isn't supposed to be an institution, but in the later half of the 20th century, many of the main lines became institutions. So now we have... <laughs> You know, being it's it's so ironic coming out of Lutheranism because being founded as a reform movement that's always changing, looking to dismantle the institutional church, we've now created an institution rooted in American capitalism. <laughs> um, and so the leadership of our central denomination um, really wants to see itself as very distinct from right-wing evangelicalism to the extent to where they will say evangelicalism. They'll say we're the evangelical Lutheran church in America because like, we're not those evangelicals. <laughs> when in fact, you know, most of the pe- the majority of the people in our pews vote Republican. Um, so it's- I appreciate that. I'm trying to figure out new ways to say evangelical. So yeah. maintain the good news. I'll just have to pronounce that E slightly different. I mean, it's so, it's so ridiculous in my opinion. Um, so it's for me, like you said, as someone who kind of has a critical eye or is the eye of a journalist looking to sort of see the hypocrisies or see that I think that's always been a big disconnect. Um, and not that the steps that we have made as a denomination have not been the correct ones. You know, in 2009, the ELCA voted to make a statement on human, human sexuality. It was kind of like muddled, murky as statements tend to be, but... Uh, Overall, it allowed churches who would like to to call um, gay and lesbian pastors, LGBTQ pastors, and um, to perform marriages for people who are LGBTQ. Um, so yeah, all of that sort of, but again, the way sort of the way that these decisions are handled oftentimes is like 
from people who are in charge of an institution who still view things through an institutional lens. So it's sort of like, how are we going to have this top-down sort of statement, academic, business-oriented approach to change, which doesn't work in the church. It's very outdated. It's antiquated. It's very parochial, you know, based in a sense that like Lutheranism is at the center of Christian conversation in America, which it's not. <laughs> um, of course, Methodists are. No, Presbyterians are. No, none of us Amen. are. Amen. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I was trying to right. be sarcastic there, Cody. <laughs> so um, anyway, I, I don't have a filter for that. So <laughs> all that being said, um, with this recent situation that came up, it, it was, it dealt with a lot of intersectional issues of yeah. um, a, a bishop who had been elected, who identified as trans, um, and then a pastor who is Afro-Latino. And, you know, full disclosure, I know this pastor who's Afro-Latino, who was, he was also up for bishop and during the election was forced to sort of make a comment about these allegations um, and it was all again, very, you know, secret. And he, he declined to sign an NDA. He was supposed to sign an NDA and it gave rise to just this history in our denomination of marginalizing, sidelining, silencing leaders of color, tokenizing, you know, this is a particular brand of, of racism that exists in liberal spaces where we're going to tokenize leaders of color. But then if they, if they start to speak out too much, immediately they're going to be sidelined and silenced and they're not going to be given access to real power. And so this, this sort of happened. And very sadly, um, you know, this pastor was sort of subject to a smear campaign. There's all this shadowy allegations of abuse, none of which was rooted in reality and, people came forward to say, hey, I was supposedly on this list of being an accuser of his, and I'm not. Like, this is all fabricated. And, you know, again, and so issues of gender, issues of clergy sex abuse, and it was so triggering for me on a number of levels because I've written about these issues a lot, because I am a woman in a pastoral role, um, and because I really care about racial justice in my church, and I care about hypocrisy you know, among liberals on wanting to say, like, we have the corner on righteousness um, because we're, we're not the right wing. And so it was a intense episode for me. Oh, wow. Has that, uh, talking about that, um, you know, so you got your, your Red State Christians book. Have you ever thought about writing a similar book about liberal and progressive <laughs> in the same, uh, as we're talking about it here? Yeah, I used to get asked that a lot. And I think, I think, I think I wrote a blog post on it. Um, I don't know if the short answer is, I don't know if it's a book because I don't think I would make much money off of it <laughs> because we're talking, <laughs> as we just sort of referenced, we're talking about limited audiences, <laughs> yep. Yep. but I do think I have a blog post on it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. How do you avoid, because there is a, an argument, you know, when you want to address, you know, hypocrisy in one stream or whatever, that people begin doing the whataboutism then, but, but you still, I mean, the truth is we still got to, you know, Jesus talks about the plank in your eye and the speck in the other, 
I mean, how do you tell that line and still, I mean, I guess as a pastor, you're con you always are speaking to a congregation. Well, no, you, that's right. You move to a, a different area of church, but you live in an area. So yeah. how do you um, respect that call to remove the speck and, and make sure your plank isn't hurting the other person at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I kind of addressed that when I was talking about the situation in the LCA, which was that, you know, the majority, 80% of my um, attention has been focused on the threat because it's a, it's a perilous threat um, to, to, to Christianity itself, to the witness of the gospel. Like for me, the thing I'm worried most about, I'm worried about a threat to democracy. I'm really worried about a threat to the gospel because Christian nationalism has a tent, has an opportunity to tear down the gospel. And right now that threat is concentrated on the right inarguably. Um, so that's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time oh, yeah. energy. Um, but you cannot be an effective witness. And that's my thing for like the LCA. We cannot be an effective witness if we are not also examining the ways in which we are culpable in Christian nationalism, because we are, we love our institutions. We love our money. We love our trappings of success. We love to see ourselves in the same way as sort of this beacon of righteousness and in colleague with you know power and i think the gospel just causes us always to be suspicious of that amen yeah i mean speaking about you know in the 20th century mainline denominations becoming institutions you can't Mm -hmm. become an institution if you're not courting the people in power and that's why white wealthy you know connected individuals so i mean church growth the extent to which our churches bought into church growth bought into church buildings now we've got these huge mortgages now you're beholden to money you know it's it's a story (laughs) it it seems like reminds me of um, oh go go ahead i was gonna say it seems like (laughs) we gotta go ahead go ahead cody i'm gonna Okay, it reminds me of the MLK quote. Uh, I forget what letter or where, where he said it, but um, you know, I, between the essentially liberal racism and you know the outright over racism, he actually appreciates the other version a little bit more because at least he knows where he stands or where he stood with those people, yeah, and he didn't have to worry about it coming from behind, you know, basically in the back. That's all I had to say. <laughs> so one of the things I was thinking is that uh, thinking about some of the, the ethical challenges ELCA and we all have with issues of intersectionality and the justices and the, the, the justice that some of those issues, individuals, situations demand, how uh, white Christian nationalism really does a great job of making it simple. You know, if Jesus was just a white American we don't really have to worry about the confusing complexities of intersectionality. Men are on the top. They run everything. Women just do their part as, <laughs> as they're told. What, what I guess, I guess what's alluring perhaps is if there's, if, if people are overwhelmed with the complexity of living, just go that direction. Cause it's so clear. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, we have to work to be more clear. We have to work to in our, you know, so many, I mean, I compare it to one day I went to the March for Life 
Um, and then like the next day there was a women's march and the level of like disorganization and confusion at the women's march about like, when are the speakers going to talk and like, who's going to talk first. And it was just like, um, there's, (laughs) there's a lack of discipline in, in liberal witness that I think sometimes shoots the message in the foot. (laughs) (laughs) practically speaking (laughs) that's that's yeah that's that's true i mean um i think part of it is also we're less um speaking for myself we're less tuned in to how to do things in an institutional and orderly fashion yeah yeah a little bit more fly by the seat of our pants kind of a thing yeah and that's okay like that's good sometimes (laughs) but it's not good when you got five thousand people showing up right (laughs) right right so it looks like Cody, uh, his his screen uh, froze. I don't know if he's still there. So I'm here. Yes. I'm okay. Here. There you are. <laughs> did you just take yourself off a of video? Yeah, I did that to see if it would help with uh, quality on my end. Okay. Well, um, we're getting. We're, it's been about an hour. We we usually wrap up um, Angela with some questions. Um, Cody's classic uh, five um, hot seat questions. Um, yes. To make guests feel slightly uncomfortable, and maybe you know, well, if you if you feel too vulnerable or uncomfortable, he'll he'll probably stop before he gets to the last one. <laughs> you want to jump in there, I Cody? I like how you're projecting me to people, but that's all right. I know, I know. <laughs> well, she already yes. had a workout, so if you make her sweat, it's okay. So okay, good. All right. Yeah. Okay. These are the five questions we ask every guest. Let us begin with Angela. What are you drinking? So it can be what you got right now next to you drinking if you've got something or your go-to everyday drink that you uh, think other people should maybe try or your favorite, you know, mixed cocktail or your favorite, you know, porter or IPA, whatever. Okay. Your well, I was, I was going to be super boring and say water because it's like 100 degrees here today. But in the summer, um, I, I drink iced coffee. I make a cold brew in like a French press overnight and I put... Um, brown sugar and cinnamon in it so and then have it with a little oat milk so that's my summer caffeine that sounds nice that does sound good okay all right what are you reading so it could be a book that you've just picked up or an old classic you recommend to people it could be a blog that you think people should check out or a magazine article etc etc yeah, I mean, I read nonstop, which is the way to be a good writer, but it's kind of out of control. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I subscribe to the Washington Post and the LA Times. Those are kind of my standards. And then I subscribe to a bunch of Substacks. Like I was saying, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar does a good one. Um, but the book I just finished is kind of interesting. It's uh, sort of the autobiography of NoFX, the band. They were like oh, a yeah. band. Um yeah. But it's uh, stories about like abuse and addiction, drug abuse and addiction, and also just sort of wild stories of being in a band and also like punk culture and sort of the, there's some political stuff in there and it was surprisingly good. Um, I really enjoyed oh. it. So. Well, that sounds kind of, a, that, that's, that, that sounds like a good read. I'll have to look for that. Yes. That does sound good. Yes. Okay. What are you watching? So it could be, what are you binging right now on Netflix? Or it could be a documentary you think people should check out, or it could be a YouTube channel, uh, something along those lines that you think people should check out. 
Yeah. Um, while I lift weights, I watch Real Housewives, which I should just stop doing. <laughs> it's, it's so bad for me. Um, <laughs> but I do. Uh, and um, yeah, there, it feels like there's nothing good on right now. But I don't know if either of you watched um, HBO's um, Somebody Somewhere. Oh, no. Fantastic. So good. And um, set in rural Kansas. But like one of the main things that the characters get involved with is it's called choir practice. But it's like this gathering (laughs) at, you know, it's in a mall, but it's like through a church. And it's sort of there's a lot of people who are gay who come to it. There's a lot of sort of misfits. And it's this rural Kansas Christianity that is not like the God and guns Christianity. It's pretty fin. Really? That sounds like my church back in Kansas. I don't know. All right. You got to watch it. Yeah. Somebody somewhere. (laughs) And it's it's very authentic. Like it's the the writers, one of them's from Minnesota. Um, They are like, they get Kansas. Like my husband's from Kansas city and it's like, it's very real. It's not like people, you know, writing about the Midwest who've never lived there. (laughs) That's awesome. That sounds good. Somebody somewhere. Okay. I'll look for that one. Yeah. Next question. What are you listening to new? So it could be a new album or an old album, or it could be a podcast you recommend something along those lines. Yeah. Well, my, my old standby long time, listen to all the time podcast is called dopey. And it's about, I got started listening to it when I was researching Catholics in New Hampshire. And I was just, you know, seeing the extent of the opioid epidemic in um, New Hampshire. And so dopey is like, these two recovering drug addicts. Um, and sadly one of them died. Um, so now it's the one who's continued it, Mm. but it's, you know, kind of humorous, but also, so I, I love dopey. That's where I found out about the no effects book. Um, and then I started listening to just really recently a podcast from, um, a woman named summer in and in it's called eat the rules and Mm. it's about, um, body image and sort of, real you know women's empowerment rather than like oh everybody looks great you know where it's like really diving into the issues that women face around our bodies so i'm loving mm. excellent well that sounds good 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 all right last well here's question. the question though that this is the one that really pushes the pushes the envelope yes. and makes could make somebody feel vulnerable because you that's never right know. exactly yeah and it's also the most important question honestly yeah, yeah. Okay. For the last. okay craig and i show up at your doorstep where are you taking us for dinner or what are you making us for dinner see we're keeping track of all these from our podcast we're just (laughs) gonna go on a dining we're gonna pop up we're gonna visit all right um well i i do i do like to cook um but if you showed up at my doorstep just because like i would want to just be able to talk and not be like busy Mm -hmm. cooking um we live in a corner of Southwest Minneapolis where we have like tons, we have tons of restaurants by us and just like steps away from my door, less than a block is a restaurant called Red Cow. Um, and it's like, they've got a bunch of different beer, they've got burgers. It's like a very fun place. So I would probably take you there. <laughs> nice. That sounds good. That sounds good. That that sounds good. good. All right. So All right. We, Off the hot we, we raise that one usually as like, just suppose, I think we're really secretly going to, you know, hold some people to these. Uh, I think honestly, okay, Craig and, and, and Angela, let me hear your opinion on this, that we've had enough guests and got enough of their answers to these that we could do a sub spinoff series of us actually showing up 
and taking going out to dinner and just hitting the record and have you know recording a conversation over the the food that would be awesome but we're gonna have to get a lot of money so that we can afford gas to drive across the country exactly so we, could, we we'll gotta get there go to philly we gotta go where else do we need to go we gotta go to chicago oh, man yeah, yeah good yep we go portland of course dallas denver yep <laughs> yep yeah, yeah, yeah. we could do we we've got two we've got two people to visit there in uh, Minneapolis. So that's right, we do that. That's right. So that'll be mm-hmm. good. So. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> Angela, it's been great to have this conversation with you. Look forward to the uh, updated version coming out, and I hope that you get some more um, a conversation out of it as well. I remember I was I was really happy to see that you popped up on on CNN. Uh, after we had a conversation around this and hopefully some others will be listening to you as well and, and uh, tuning into your, your good thoughts. Thank you. Well, blessings on you guys' work as well. All right. Well, enjoy that uh, wonderful 100 degree uh, summer. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Not to right. have that in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't sound right. Yeah, no. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, blessings to you. Bye-bye. Cool. Good one. Oh, you're still recorded. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm still on there. Yeah. I just thought, well, Hi, you know, Hi, anything to add? Not really. I'm supposed to be tuning in to my annual conference. So I put Well, here's, here's what we need to do uh, maybe as a closing thought. We do need yes. to figure out a way to get too much money on our hands so that we can yes. travel across the country and visit all these people. Be incredible, man. I think that'd be I mean, we, we'll get some awesome pies in Montana. Just drive on across, mm-hmm. go to Red, mm-hmm. Red Cow and then Ooh, hang out, wee. you know. So oh, I think, think it's going to be all right, tour, man. That would be okay. I would right. be down with that. Well, enjoy your annual conference. I'm sure there's going to be nothing, uh, no big deals there. Uh, yeah, exactly. So our, we had, we had our uh, annual, it's supposed to be biannual, but it, we ended up having an annual version because it was a hot topic Ooh. and it went really well, but the best hashtag was called Menno Rumble 22. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, it. I have to have to see if there's a UMC rumble. Uh, <laughs> I'm hashtag. there. You're going to be now. I'm going to have right. to start it. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, All enjoy. Right. Talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Thanks for joining Cody Stoffer and me, Craig Morton, for this podcast. We simply try to record and upload without much editing. What you get is live conversation with all its ignorance and insight, wisdom and foolishness sometimes more of one than the other, and occasionally profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment. And look for upcoming Facebook Live podcasts where you can interact with our guests. Also, we can be found on Twitter as at All That's Holy. Our intro and outro music is by At the Speed of Darkness. Support At the Speed of Darkness on Bandcamp and buy his music there, as well as follow him on Instagram at At the Speed of Darkness. 